You're listening to Family Petals, the podcast for people questioning the status quo and living life a little bit differently. I'm your host, Sarah Copper. Today I am talking with Caitlin Macklin, a friend and active transportation enthusiast from Austin, Texas. I really enjoyed my conversation with her about how she started biking for transportation, how she has gotten around when an injury prevented her from biking, and how she moved her schoolhouse by bike with the help of many friends. As you'll hear in the show, she is the mother of a two-year-old, and as any parent of a toddler knows, it is nearly impossible to have quiet for a sustained period of time. At various points throughout the show, you'll hear his contributions in the background. Please bear with us when that happens, as Caitlin has a lot of great insights to offer. Welcome to the show, Caitlin. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks for having me. So why don't you start by introducing yourself and your family? All right. Uh, I'm Caitlin, and I have a spouse, Nathan, and a little one who is two and a half. I am a teacher, and I started a little schoolhouse called Radical Roots Community Schoolhouse in my home in 2010, and we have since grown all without a car. And my partner works for the city, and he makes bike lanes and does street design type of things. And used to work with Neil. That's right. That was our original connection. Our spouses worked in the same department, and you were really some of the very first people we met when we lived in Austin. Oh, that's so sweet. So can you tell us how you started moving away from car-centric transportation? Yeah, I feel like it was such an organic part of how I wanted to be that it wasn't so much of a decision of, I'm not going to have a car. I just didn't own a car. I didn't have one. It wasn't something that I had bought when I moved down to Austin. In fact, my good friend Sarah and I moved here and moved in with a friend of hers from high school. And we drove someone else's car down, which is now the premise of a lot of these um, social networking, driving stuff down to different places, kind of, mm-hmm. what do you call that? The, the peer economy. And we did this back in 2003. And so, you know, we just like knew somebody who needed their car to be driven down. So we just arrived with no car, <laughs> basically, to Austin. So did you have some experience with biking and walking and using public transit growing up? Because that's something that was pretty foreign to me, aside from your general walking to and from school. I did. I, I'm i trying to think back. I took the city bus home from school, but I took it to my dad's office in Bloomington, Indiana. I took the bus home in like fourth grade. And so I remember waiting at the bus stop. And so, but that was like the main thing that I did. I We had bikes too. And we would basically go somewhere to bike. We didn't exactly use our bikes to get places. Mm -hmm. So I guess it was just a basic familiarity with it. You know, I didn't get a car when I was 16 and I never bothered to save up for a car. So in my college, Earlham College in Richmond, Indiana, was super tiny. It was like a mile square across. So it was kind of a bubble and we just walked everywhere and started biking to places in town then. So it just kind of naturally happened that then when I moved down to Austin, I didn't have a car and I just used my bike and begged rides and (laughs) like, you know, didn't really know what I was doing, but just did it. And Austin was a big city to me. So it was kind of intimidating, but 
I think the major outgrowth of how I got into cycling as like, yeah, this is what I do and this is how I get around was because it was such a social thing to do with these people that I was meeting in Austin. Even back in 2003, like we would just all get on our bikes and bomb down Congress to the Ritz bar for Thursday pint night, you know, and so it was like a fun thing, even though we were riding farther than I'd ever ridden before, probably five miles downtown Austin, you know, <laughs> like yeah. a big city to me. So, but because it was fun and I was in a group, it was really easy, I guess, in some ways. Yeah, I think that's something that helped me moving to Austin because that's the biggest city I've ever lived in. And we were already car free at that point, but I had never had to navigate such a big city. And just having connections with other people who were biking around to show me the routes and yeah, just help figure out those things that made it feel more comfortable was such a huge help. Definitely, definitely. And I mean, I remember feeling like it was because it is urban and especially now, I mean, we live on the east side, two miles from downtown, and we've been here since 2005. And so it just feels easy to get around with how compact it is. I know on the previous show, you were talking to Chris, who lived in the suburbs, and that was super inspiring to me. (laughs) But back, you know, we lived way up at 51st Street, and now we live at 9th Street. And so it was just a far, I remember Nathan reminded me of like, well, you used to beg, call me when it was raining and beg for a ride. And (laughs) basically my spouse has always pushed my limits in the transportation realm. And even before he worked where at the city where he met Neil, anyway, he stopped giving me rides. So I basically had to ride my bike or take the bus if I wanted to get around. So it sounds like that you were first getting into it just because you didn't have a car. So it was more out of necessity. And then you had a group of friends where that was a social aspect of it. Has your motivation changed as time has gone on and it's become more of your identity? Well, I think I always it always appealed to me that it was better for low emissions and I was being active and didn't have to think about going to the gym or felt like I didn't. (laughs) And so, so all those kind of benefits were very self-fulfilling or something. Right. I guess it's just a hard question to answer because it always was part of my identity, but so no, I don't think it has changed. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, that's fine. I think that it just always started out like something fun to do. And I never really wanted the hassle of a car. I did buy a truck for a few years and it was a 1977 pickup and it was very charming. But then I just didn't fix things, just basically stopped working. And then I was like, (laughs) okay, I don't have a car anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Now it's become a habit. I know one thing that you said in your first podcast about this was you don't have that option of should I bike today Mm -hmm. or it's a little drizzly or I'm feeling cranky or whatever it is I like to not have that mental game happening because I think it's really important to just do it (laughs) it's it is important to me to just have to do that I obviously feel the same way and (laughs) I really relate to what you're saying about it being simpler And that Mm -hmm. that was a huge motivation for us selling the car was to simplify our lives. And it was just one less thing we had to worry about. Totally. So how do you get around on a daily or weekly basis? 
I usually load up on the cargo bike and we have an electric assist now. Did you know mm. that? I, I did I not know that, that, but I have yeah. been contemplating that in recent weeks and months. <laughs> yes. So it's totally changed my my life, really, because let's see. So usually I ride the cargo bike that a friend of ours crafted and it's a kind of a front loader style it's not a box bike, but it does have a platform on the front. Mm -hmm. And so strapped a little Fisher-Price booster seat that has a three-point harness to the front of it because it has expanded metal platform. So we just cinch that thing down. And then my kiddo sits in that and has his helmet on. And then, yeah, we have a the motor for the pedal assist is in the rear wheel. And so we get around on that. And... I take the bus if it's a far trip sometimes, especially in the summer because it's air conditioned. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we also walk to close places, the library and the pool. And then my toddler is now learning to ride the scoot bike. And today was the first time he went out on a trip to the coffee shop riding the scoot bike. Nice. Yeah. So that was cool. So that's kind of what we're doing primarily now. Then, of course, because it's more complicated, the pedal assist broke. And so I'm kind of stranded, I feel like, with I have back trouble. I have a herniated disc that acts up once in a while. And so I'm always looking for ways to still maintain an active transportation lifestyle, but be able to take care of my body as well. And so that was the one of the precipitating factors to getting a pedal electric assist. So because it's not working, luckily friends of ours are going out of town this summer and loaned us the car for the rest of the summer. And it often seems like we can borrow a vehicle, which is just nice in the Austin heat to be able to go out at noon and not <laughs> suffer a heat stroke. Right. And I think that's the thing about a more active transportation lifestyle is you really do have to be flexible because it feels like things are always changing. That yeah. It's true. Changing with kids and what they need and how that's working, but also changing in terms of your own needs and different work situations. And Right. You get a new job and you have to haul five more miles away or whatever. Right. Or some kind of injury. It's just, mm -hmm. I feel like it's a, a constant process of being flexible and being creative to solve problems. Totally. Yeah, and scrapping it together and seeing who you know. And it's really, for us, like, very community-oriented, too. Like, oh, so-and-so has this resource, but we can use that, and they can do this. And <laughs> Right. And you guys also participated in – participate, maybe not be the right word. You guys also created a car-sharing situation with another family. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Another family down the block from us. They also ride bikes everywhere. And then they had kids nine months before, or had their first kid nine months before we did. And so they invested in a car. Actually, let's see. Yeah. So I think the car share origin started actually when I was pregnant around about August, which was during the summer. I was pregnant and I overdid it. I just was riding around in the middle of the day and got dehydrated. And it took me a few days or even a week to recover from that where I was like okay I shouldn't be out and I need to be careful and and so that's when we started talking to our friends about hey could we borrow the car 
you know, we'll pay you so that I can use it kind of more extensively, even though it's their vehicle. So then we just formally worked out an arrangement where we pay something per month and then, and that's based on mileage and, you know, average maintenance costs. And so, and so we have a percentage, so it it lives at their house and I just walk down and get it when I need to use it. And we just work out the schedule kind of informally to borrow the car. And that seems like one of the best parts of your arrangement is that they live down the street from you because totally. the car to go program in Austin are just the little smart cars. So they don't accommodate a family. And right. is that true? Do they have a backseat? Is there a backseat? No, in there's just two seats. Okay. And I've gone through like so many different iterations of what was possible with my back problem that I was using the car to go a lot before I had my, my son. And then yeah, you can't put a, I mean, you can, I looked up the rules. It's okay to put a car seat in the front seat in Texas, but that it's just a little tiny, <laughs> what are they called? Smart cars. Right. So, so yeah, not really a good option. <laughs> right. And then the other option in Austin is the zip car, but they only have those at very specific locations. So then you have to get there. Right. It's way more of a hassle to go get there. Because I think we would have used that some if it had been right in our neighborhood. But since it was a ordeal to get there, it was never the most efficient way to do anything we wanted to do. <laughs> totally. And now, even when we want to rent a car to go for a weekend or camping or something, then we have to kind of do this dance of like someone goes, you, now we have a Brompton folding bike. So usually mm. one of us will ride and get it, get the car, fold up the bike, put it in the trunk, come back and then load everybody up because we can't just schlep the car seat on a bike very easily. So, Right. Or then you have to leave bikes there. Ours is close enough we can walk to it, but it's the same deal. You have to yeah. get there, get the car, come back. One thing I really wished when I was pregnant is that I knew more people who were biking while they were pregnant. And mm. I don't know how your care provider was, but even my midwife was skeptical of me continuing oh. to ride through the end. And I still did. <laughs> Good. I know. I remember. You were an inspiration. <laughs> Her concern was not that biking itself was bad. She was just saying your center of gravity changes and you'll be less stable and right. concerns about drivers. But to me, I felt like, well, if I'm riding every day, the center of yeah. gravity change is not that drastic <laughs> from one I mean, day to the walk, next. Right? right. Like you learn how to walk the same you learned to ride a bike. Right. And that it wasn't before as though I was trying to be reckless. I was obviously trying trying and still do ride in a defensive manner that to keep mm -hmm. myself and my children safe. So yeah, I did ride until the bitter end in the summer in Texas. But uh -huh. I had wished I had known more people and had had more stories of that. And I found one website of a woman who had a series called Biking While Pregnant. And once I found that, I thought, oh, people do this. It's not just me. What was your experience like biking in Texas while pregnant? That just made me think of how important it is to have people who you know or whose stories you've heard. And so I just really am grateful that you're doing this, first of all, because I think that that's how I got into cycling was because people around me were doing it and I'd heard about people plugging into that community and now. So it's really great to do that for more families. Thank you. Definitely. So one of my closest friends, the people that we have the car share with, 
Savannah was riding and she rode home after her water broke working. <laughs> so, you know, like I had this hardcore person to, to kind of look up to, but I didn't make it the whole time. Like I said, like I got overheated in August and so started driving a car that we borrowed to be able to, to cope with that. But but I would walk a lot because mm-hmm. I know that was also really important for, well, getting labor started too. But but in general, biking while pregnant, I mean, it seemed fine. Yeah, I think that the thing that people say about your center of gravity, it's like, well, you just feel it out. And I guess you can't really see if someone's pregnant when you're coming up behind them. But I felt like this extra layer of, of a bubble <laughs> where people were giving me a wide berth mm-hmm. riding and... But yeah, I mean, I think that that probably was the beginning of this noticing people making judgments about you as a mother <laughs> started in pregnancy while cycling. I just did it as much as felt good and and that was good with me. I think that's the key is to with everything else related to pregnancy is to listen to your own body and that right. you know when you need to back off and mm-hmm. I did bike all the way to the end but I incorporated a lot more busing and walking when I was in the third trimester because yeah. it was more comfortable and that is what I preferred. So mm-hmm. it wasn't that I never biked, but I feel like you know yourself and that you can make those adjustments. Yeah. If you're paying attention, like I just overdid it by thinking I could. And I think that was kind of a theme for me with pregnancy and then birth and then now being a mama. It's, you have this idea that you can do more or you can you should be able to keep up and it's like oh no biology is very (laughs) um I mean I don't want to say limiting but it is it's a limiting factor and you just have to tune into it and not feel bad from that perspective but just yeah appreciate the power that you have as a pregnant person and but very real boundaries that you need to respect as well I think I got into trouble trying to do too much But it was a good experience overall. Good. And so that was pregnancy. But what about after your son arrived? What did that look like during those first months and the first year in terms of getting around as a family? So we already had a cargo bike and that had been kind of our family truck or whatever minivan. And so we really wanted to just retrofit that to be able to use it for our son and we kind of rejected the idea that you can't bike for an entire year with your son. We were like, that's how we get around. So that's what we need to figure out. And so we'd heard about or I maybe I definitely saw someone with their baby car seat in the trailer strapped in. And so I don't know whose idea, mine or Nathan or probably Nathan. I mean, he's very <laughs> like he just knows a lot about the things that are out there because of his work in the cycling world. Anyway, we strapped the car seat, the infant baby seat with the base and everything with um, ratchet straps down to the, the base of the cargo bike. And so, and we did him rear facing and uh, we rigged up an umbrella for shade or for rain protection. I mean, it was just an umbrella strapped over the (laughs) car seat. And so, yeah, a lot of what you and Neil were talking about with how simple in your first podcast, just using what you have and, you know, making that work. And I've never been somebody that really gets into gear (laughs) and, and I'm not very good at researching that kind of stuff. So 
Plus, we have a commitment to secondhand and scavenging and just picking things up on the side of the road like Neil does. And um, yeah, and so I think we just kind of were like, well, this is going to work and it's safe. And we put actually, this is what we did. We put a foam pillow down or it was a latex, like, so it was very bouncy. It had a little give. And I think, I mean, I'm sure we didn't put him on there until he was three months or something. He did have a little bit more neck control. He wasn't an infant because um, I was wearing him around and walking around a lot when he was super tiny. I loved seeing your all set up because your son and my daughter are just a week apart. And we did wait until almost the year mark. Mm-hmm. And looking back on it, I think part of it is not knowing anybody who had done it differently. And so right. it was really inspiring seeing you guys find a way to solve that problem. And we just didn't venture into cargo bikes until later. And now we have the bucket bike. And I see lots of people doing the car seat situation in the bucket bike. And I think, oh, we could have done that if we had this bike sooner. But we weren't quite ready to make that leap. Yeah, but that's a big commitment. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's like a huge investment. Yeah, I think that in your previous shows, people made really good points about the cost that you're saving with not owning a car. And so we always felt justified in putting that towards a bigger bike. If you're paying $1,500 for a electric assist, like at least I'm not buying a car because a used car would still even be $5,000 or whatever. So Right. So yeah, so I think in retrospect, it's like, oh, well, we could afford that but it's some kind of extra leap to to invest in it right away I think so another way that you guys have been an inspiration to us is just like what you were describing with biking with a younger child of just seeing a problem and thinking of creative solutions of how you can do that When I would look at it and think, oh, we can't do that without a car, so we just won't, you guys Mm -hmm. seem to look at it and think, hmm, I wonder how we can make this happen. (laughs) And I just really admire that about you guys. Oh, thanks. And the one example that comes to mind immediately is when you moved your schoolhouse by bike. Can you describe how that came to be and what that process looked like? Sure. I mean, once again, I was definitely not the originator of the idea. Like the only reason that I even considered it or thought of it or knew it was possible was because Yellow Bike Project, the community bike shop in Austin, moved from their former location at 51st Street down to their new location. And that was so awesome and inspiring and obviously it was a huge difference from a bike community organizing to move itself you know with all these crazy trailers and platform bikes and people filling up their panniers there's actually a great video on the yellow bike project's website so i participated in that and then it was like wow this would be so cool to do it with our schoolhouse community because the schoolhouse we've always had a commitment to sustainability and to just really doing things ourselves and so we were moving from my home to the new location was at Red River Street and I was like we should totally do it by bike because it's also it was not big um, and when we moved and so there's just a doable amount of stuff it would have been a small amount to rent a, a big U-Haul truck for, for example, but, but it was significant. I mean, so we even got, I mean, I sent out some press releases and there's probably a video on KXAN floating around somewhere. Um, if you're curious, but 
yeah, it was just really fun. I think it's three miles that we biked, so it wasn't crazy, and it was kind of a fun challenge to just see. But we did have to recruit people from the yellow bike community and from the cargo biking folks that we knew. Of like, hey, can we borrow your trailer? Are you available? But it was super fun, and, and people from the schoolhouse community rode bikes and kids. HP and Neil rode together, I think. Yeah, so, that's right. Yeah. That's awesome. So yeah, so it was definitely because I'd seen it before and thought it would be fun. And um, I think those are the community aspect and the keeping things fun and adventurous are definitely reasons why I like to get around by bike. And, and I will give credit to Nathan, my spouse, for a lot of it because he just thinks that way. He's like, why do we have to do it that way? You know, <laughs> it's just second nature. I do think that Nathan's a huge influence on how uh, extreme, if you will, <laughs> my commitment to active transportation has been throughout my life. I think it's so great to have people like that, though, because it really raises the bar on just what you think is possible. For sure. So even if I I don't have any intention to ever move my house, for example, by bike, <laughs> that that isn't on my list of things to do. But now when I think about it, it's like, oh, but I could. I mean, it would be yeah. really hard and would require <laughs> so much organization, but it's no longer on the impossible list for an in-town yeah. move. And you know where they do that all the time is Portland. <laughs> yeah. So so I think I watched a whole bunch of videos and looked at blogs about Portland people moving their entire houses. And they have it down to like a let's post a meetup and then all the people come out and load up somebody else's couch. And it's just really neat to see that kind of sharing economy. And just think of all the people who are watching that from the side too, that right. aren't participating in it, that are maybe just seeing something they wouldn't have ever thought about before. Mm-hmm. And I always say I get that response a lot riding the cargo bike, even before kids. My friends Van and I joke that we feel like we're at the head of the parade every time we ride. <laughs> and people stare at you and they're like, what is that? And where'd you get that? Like to this day. I mean, because it's pretty unique to see and then to see kids on it. Whereas like another country or culture, it's pretty, it's, it can be more normal. Right. There's a number of other cargo bikes in Bloomington, both Madsen bikes and Yuba bikes. And I frequently see them, but it's still very rare for me to go an entire week without somebody stopping me and commenting on the bike or asking me where I got it. Or And I love that. It is not at all an irritant to me, but I think that people are just really curious because it's something different than what they usually see. Yeah. So people are very interested and it looks really fun when you see these kind of unique events or even just see us riding from place to place with a lot of cargo and kids in tow. But there are also challenges to being a car-free family. What have you found to be the biggest challenges? Well, I think in terms of family, there's definitely challenges when a toddler doesn't want to do something. But I think that would be true no matter what mode of transportation we're getting around in. It would be true, but it feels so much more public on a bike it's true. Because whenever I was riding with HP when he was a baby and he'd be tired and he'd be crying and I just felt like it looked like, oh, that poor woman <laughs> torturing her child, forcing him to ride on a bike. Oh, but so then I would true. think other families in a car seat, they would also be crying when they were tired yeah. and crying on the way home. But that's Absolutely. more private that you can't it's see true. it. true. <laughs> yep. 
I know it's so true and I think everything is more on display when you're on your bike and you arrive sweaty somewhere carrying a bunch of crap you know like that's all part of the (laughs) part of the challenges but I think like personally my own health history has been challenging with just my back feeling weak and I had a herniated disc in a few years ago and then so that was the first blow to my invincibility of biking as the dream solution because it's like oh not everyone is able-bodied and not everyone can do that and so it really gave me a lot of compassion and insight into just different abilities and so because of this thing that I love to do I couldn't do it and it took me a while so at that time I was using car to go I was riding the bus a lot and I did walk because I couldn't even sit down that that was the most painful thing so I would walk a lot of places So that has been a big challenge. Like I used to do our family grocery shopping and the grocery shopping for the schoolhouse on our big front loading cargo bike. And I would ride three and a half miles to Wheatsville and carry a couple hundred pounds of groceries or, you know, that's probably an exaggeration, but but I would carry a big full week shopping trip every week and combined with other things that were repetitive motion type of injury with the it just became a herniated disc. And so I think you just have to be aware of your body. And if if you're overdoing your limits without proper strengthening, or now I have to stretch every day, and now I am just paying attention to what my limits are, and had to, I mean, and something I want to echo when you and Neil were talking about anytime you feel like, well, we can always buy a car if we need to. And so that sort of a safety net is always there and so throughout my process of healing and getting strength back I always felt like well I can but something would always pop up like we would be able to use a friend's car for a week or trading with somebody getting rides with somebody and and I think so we never did and so then we even with kids we were like we'll just try it and see and then it, it worked well and the challenges were worth it so we just kept going with it and adjusting and and figuring it out. I've been really impressed watching you guys navigate all of that and just not seeing it as a dead end, but just as needing to take a detour and Mm. finding those kinds of creative solutions and those really community-based solutions. Oh, thanks. I have so much gratitude for what my body can do and also a recognition that it may not always be that way. And so- I really appreciate seeing you guys figure out how to balance including active transportation and caring for yourselves. Mm, Cool. That's great to hear. It's just so apparent when something physically isn't working, like how much we have to appreciate to be able to get around in that in that manner. And and I really like, I I remember reading a long time ago, an article about somebody that biked everywhere up North and how he just compared it to how in our ancestry, people have always been thrill seeking and more than that, just relying on their senses and that adrenaline and acute awareness of surroundings. And I think in modern society, his point was we've, we've lost the need to do that. And so a lot of us go around feeling very drab and unengaged. And I think that cycling and walking and, you know, taking the bus, sitting down and talking to somebody, like being aware of strangers, like all these things make you more alert. And in the best of scenarios, anyways, you're 
able to kind of tap into that evolutionary adaptation of being on your toes and that's somehow more fulfilling of a lifestyle than just getting in your car turning on the ac disconnecting and i know that a lot of the things that y'all talked about in your first podcast was along those same lines of how much more present and connected you feel and i just wanted to echo that that it's it's really rewarding to be able to do that and i think that it also helps create that community that is there to support you when you need extra support and that I experienced that when I had to be induced Mm -hmm. to give birth to my daughter and just how wonderful people were. And actually, the person that you do car share with, they lent me their car so that we could go to the hospital at that point. And I think that, but I feel like so many of those connections we made were through this active transportation community and that. Yeah, I remember that because. I think another challenge can be communicating about the, all these different uh, car share and getting places. And I drove you to the hospital using their car mm-hmm. and then you, you know, like you guys worked it out on the way back, but it just was this like nice net of, okay, well we can get this and let's find this and people coming together to support each other. And that, that just feels really good. And so it's kind of cool to like counteract the, normal like okay we have a car we have a house but then you don't need anybody else and it doesn't feel good to not need anybody else there's studies about helping others that increases your happiness and I think that that's so legit of like if you set up your life where maybe it's more complicated but it's also fulfills you in a different way like whatever that is sharing meals together or borrowing something from somebody and that interdependence, it really does enrich your life. Well said. Well, we have already nicely transitioned then from what the biggest challenges are to the biggest benefits. Do you have anything to add to that? I feel like there's so many tiny benefits that make up the big benefits, like not having to hassle with parking and just how enjoyable it is to get outside a little bit every day and just being living more simply and not having to worry about filling up the car and moving this giant piece of metal (laughs) from place to place. Those little benefits really feel good on a day-to-day basis. And my favorite things are riding bikes with friends and going places together and getting around on your own power just feels good. It does. It really does. And it is those little things like every time I bike downtown and can just pull right up to where I'm going and park my bike I feel very happy about it, I think. And I think it's those little things that I'm feeling happy about that in a way that I think would be irritating in a car. You know, that it's it's like (laughs) the extreme that one isn't neutral and one is it's that they're on opposite ends to me. I agree. So what advice would you have for listeners who are curious or interested in trying to incorporate more active transportation into their lives? Well, the thing that's made the difference to me is is just knowing people and being around other folks and enjoying that together. So I would say already listening to Family Pedals is a great way to start hearing more stories and connecting with people, even if it's via the internet, asking advice and just getting started. And And I think... Yeah, if you're somebody that likes gear, it might help you to to find a, a bike that you want to ride or 
if you're somebody that's very no-nonsense and simple about it, just ride to a, the grocery store, ride whatever's close by, just take a little ride and, and see how that goes. And I think just trying it, trying it out, talking to people to find the best routes, because I knew, I know like you might ride and feel really unsafe and it's a busy road and that gives you a totally different feeling from going on a neighborhood street or someplace where there's a protected bikeway or so being smart about where you go and finding out first can really make all the difference to how much you enjoy it. So connecting with other people. Absolutely. When we first moved to Austin, my first bike ride was down Guadalupe and then 38th Street and then mm. Lamar, which Oh my gosh, is I think horrible. I did the same route. <laughs> <laughs> I remember riding on 38th with my friend and like, what are we doing? Why did we turn the street? <laughs> I remember so clearly thinking in my head, we're going to have to buy a car. Just that uh, I just remember thinking this is not going to work here. And mm-hmm. it did. And I think that it can feel, if you haven't been biking, it can feel hard to know where to find other people to get that information. But sure. I would say any bike shop, people are happy to talk to you about that. And they often have bike maps of your city there that help yeah. guide you as well. And Austin has the great community resource of the Yellow Bike Project that we've mentioned a couple times. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk a little bit about what that is for people who may not know? Sure. Although the caveat is I'm really just like a supporter of a bike project volunteer. The Yellow Bike Project is a community bike shop where you can go to their tool library and they'll show you how to fix your bike. And now they also have used bikes for sale. So you can go and buy a used bike. So if you're just like wanting to check it out, you can go get a cheap bike and try it out. And and so that's their main mission is is getting more bikes on the street and getting people confident and knowing how to fix their own bikes. Because not only is it a human-powered thing that's economically and health-wise advantageous, it's also if you know how to fix your flat tire or oil your chain or all these basic things, it's pretty easy entry level kind of stuff and I'm not mechanically inclined but it has been easy to kind of pick up those things that you can just do and keep yourself rolling so that's the yellow bike project yeah and I know that there is not one in every community but I think there are a lot of resources like that that people could reach out to there really are community bike shops all over and even some in like tiny towns that you wouldn't expect. And so that's a great place to meet folks. And like you said, a bike shop and a lot of cities have an advocacy organization and they can offer classes where you can take a road safety class or something if that helps you get on the road. Well, I think that about wraps it up for this episode. Caitlin, I am so glad that you came on the show and shared your story with our listeners. Thanks so much for having me, Sarah. I know that listeners might have questions for you. And if so, they can leave a comment on the show notes for this episode. And I will be sure that Caitlin sees it. It's been a pleasure. Same. Thanks, Caitlin. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can find the show notes at familypedals.com. And if you'd like to contact me, you can do so on Instagram at familypedals or via email familypedals at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Next time, I'll be joined by Mark Stosberg. 
Mark shares his advice and stories about bike camping as a family, including a 10-day tour of southern Indiana he took in the summer of 2016 with his wife and their five- and eight-year-old kids. I hope you'll join me then. <laughs>